Good afternoon, and welcome to Ask the Expert, presented by the National Resource Center on ADHD. My name is Karen Sampson-Hoffman, and I'd like to welcome you to today's webcast, Your Teen with ADHD, Challenges and Strategies for Success. Today we are hosting Dr. James Christ, Clinical Director of the Child and Family Counseling Center in Woodbridge, Virginia. The Ask the Expert webcast series gives the general public access to top clinicians, researchers, and other professionals. The National Resource Center is a partnership between CHAD and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and serves as the national clearinghouse for the latest evidence-based information on ADHD. If you would like to talk with a health information specialist for further information on today's topic, please contact us Monday through Friday from 1 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time at 1-800-233-4050 or online at help4adhd.org. It is a privilege to introduce today's guest expert, Dr. James Christ. Dr. Christ works with individuals and families, along with conducting evaluations to clarify a person's diagnosis. Dr. Christ, if you would like to begin. I would. Uh, good afternoon, and thanks for joining me on this uh, webinar. Uh, I've been interested in working with uh, ADHD teenagers for many years. Uh, I have, uh, it's one of the things that uh, prompted me to write the book, ADHD, A Teenager's Guide. I have some family members with ADHD, so I'm intimately familiar with the disorder. Um, and I thought that it would be very useful to talk about some of the challenges uh, that kids with ADHD have, especially as they go through adolescence. It's pretty um, challenging for parents as well as teenagers for some of the reasons that I will explain in just a little bit. Um, so let me start with uh, ADHD symptoms in teenagers. Uh, most of you who are listening are probably familiar with the core symptoms of ADHD, inattention, uh, hyperactivity, uh, and impulsivity. And what we know with ADHD in teenagers is that the core symptoms remain. Uh, it used to be we thought that a lot of the symptoms disappeared by the time you went through adolescence. And for some kids, they're lucky enough for that to happen. But uh, most kids retain uh, many of the same symptoms uh, throughout their teenage years. Executive functioning deficits may worsen, however. And I'll talk more about uh, executive functioning in just a few minutes. But basically, it has to do with planning, organizing, following through on tasks. And one of the reasons that uh, those deficits may worsen during the teenage years is that teens are responsible for a lot more uh, academically, for example. They have to keep track of many more assignments, uh, required more independent work, uh, having multiple teachers, uh, as well as keeping up with uh, tasks at home. So kids who may have functioned reasonably well during the elementary school years start having more trouble often during the teenage years. A lower frustration tolerance, which uh, a little bit of that is normal with all teenagers, but it's exacerbated with teens with ADHD. They get frustrated more easily, and they may say and do things that they regret later. Uh, we know that hormonal changes can make this worse. Uh, again, some mood swings are uh, common among uh, adolescents in general, uh, but those changes on top of ADHD can make it more difficult for them, especially to control their emotional outbursts. Uh, inattention often remains. Uh, that is probably the most frequent thing uh, that you see with teens with ADHD. And hyperactivity may be more subtle. So rather than running around, jumping on things, getting out of their seat, you're going to see more restlessness. You're going to see more fidgetiness, uh, difficulty sitting still, which, of course, is going to be uh, make it harder for kids to get their homework done. thought a little bit of humor would make sense. Uh, big fan of the comic strip zits. Uh, and this is a good example here of how parents, uh, think of helicopter parenting, uh, 
often take too much responsibility for their uh, teenager's success. And one of the things that uh, I would like to emphasize here is that you have to set limits. Uh, if you take total responsibility for your teen's success, you're going to get frustrated, they're going to get frustrated, and they have to take the primary responsibility and pressure because the more you take on, the less the teenager feels like he or she needs to do that. Okay, here's a graph of uh, executive functions executive functions that are impaired in ADHD, and I thought it was helpful just to see some of the different components of executive functioning because it will help you understand some of the challenges that uh, these teenagers face. Uh, you've got activation, which is organizing, prioritizing, activating to work. That's basically just getting geared up to do what they need to do. Uh, that is very difficult. Uh, second focus, uh, sustaining and shifting attention to tasks. One of the things we know about ADHD is it's not just about focusing, because we know that teenagers can focus for hours on their cell phones or computers or tablets or what have you. Uh, but a lot of times it's just shifting attention from what they want to do to what they are supposed to be doing. Uh, effort level, uh, regulating alertness, sustaining effort. That a lot of times teenagers will start off being pretty focused, but then they, they lose focus and they get distracted pretty easily. Uh, managing frustration uh, is a big factor. If they get frustrated with something because they're not getting it right or they're not understanding it, uh, that emotional uh, component can make it harder for them to stay motivated. Uh, working memory, uh, number five there, uh, that causes all sorts of problems in terms of remembering to do things, such as taking out the trash, locking the door, putting things away after they prepare something to eat and also keeping track of assignments, remembering that they have something due the next day. Then um, finally, just monitoring and self-regulating action, uh, number six here. And that has to do with being able to observe yourself and, and see what you're doing and monitor your actions throughout the completion of a task. And we know that's uh, definitely challenging for teens. I think it's important to talk briefly about some of the risks for ADHD, ADHD teens. And one of the reasons for doing this is that uh, a lot of times people, when it comes to uh, putting kids on medication, for example, are concerned that uh, there's going to be side effects and risks of treating. But there's also risks of not treating ADHD. And here's a couple of examples that ADHD teens are more likely to be involved in car accidents, to drink heavily, uh, to abuse drugs, often to try to medicate themselves, you know, to calm themselves down or even to help them focus sometimes. Uh, they have more trouble keeping a job. It's not unusual for ADHD uh, adults to go through multiple jobs because they can't sustain attention. They get fired or they get bored or they quit impulsively without really thinking about the consequences. In terms of causes of ADHD, I don't want to focus too much on that because I want to focus more on some strategies, but uh, just to know that there's a number of different factors that uh, can be related to uh, the development of ADHD. It's not something that's due to poor parenting. Uh, but uh, we do know that uh, brain injuries are, do make ADHD more likely genetic differences, meaning that it's, uh, it runs in families. Uh, the role of dopamine, which is one of the brain neurotransmitters, uh, dopamine is involved in the reward centers of the brain. Uh, so if you're doing something that's rewarding to you, it's like your brain uh, sort of produces more dopamine. It says, pay attention to this. This is good. This is rewarding. And if you have lower levels of dopamine, things that you're supposed to complete just feel less rewarding. It's one of the reasons why external rewards uh, are so important in motivating uh, kids with ADHD to do things that they don't really want to do. A uh, quick note about sleep deprivation. Uh, there have been studies that show that 
when kids are deprived of sleep, and we know teenagers struggle with sleep anyway, uh, that that actually can mimic some of the symptoms of ADHD. So one of the things you want to make sure of is that uh, some of what may look like ADHD may not be actually sleep deprivation. So it's really important to try to help these kids uh, to get enough sleep. Again, easier said than done. Um, Brain functioning in ADHD, I think it helps to know what, uh, I think uh, there's been a lot of attention in the news about how the frontal lobes of the brain do not mature until about 25, which happens to be when uh, rates for car insurance go down, uh, not coincidentally here. And one of the things we know is that the brain matures from the back to the front. So the parts of the brain, the frontal lobes, which are involved in attention, controlling emotion, uh, making good decisions, uh, controlling impulses, mature later. So you may have heard that kids with ADHD tend to be more immature, so they're just a little bit more delayed. So to keep that in mind in terms of some of your expectations of uh, what they are struggling with, that it will get better. It just takes time. Uh, <clears throat> Spect imaging is actually a relatively new uh, way of assessing for ADHD. Uh, I find this very helpful to show this to some of my patients, uh, including the teenagers, to help them understand a little bit about what's going on here. This basically looks at blood flow in the brain, and um, where you see on the left the normal brain, you see not too many holes there. It's pretty well filled in. What that means is that the entire brain is using glucose, so it's basically working pretty well. The ADD brain before treatment, where you see those holes, it doesn't mean that there's holes in the brain. What it means is there's parts of the brain that are not using glucose, meaning that they are underactive. And so what treatment uh, does with medication is uh, to actually help those parts of the brain work better. And so when you get more activity in that, those areas of the brain, you will see better focus, better impulse control, um, better regulation. So sorry about that. Let me move back here. All right. Co-occurring conditions. This is something that you want to be aware of when you are uh, helping a teenager with ADHD. And by co-occurring, we mean these are other disorders that can be present along with ADHD and can be complicating treatment. Uh, just briefly, we've got oppositional defiant disorder, which is one of the main uh, or one of the most common co-occurring conditions. Kids with oppositional defiant disorder are just like it sounds, that they tend to be oppositional, they tend not to uh, want to listen, they tend to be uh, uh, argue a lot. They don't want, they might be spiteful, they may be vindictive, they may um, just resist for the sake of resisting. Again, some of that's normal during teenage years, but it's exacerbated in, in kids with ADHD. One of the reasons we know that teens with ADHD tend to be more oppositional is because we're asking them to do things that they don't really want to do. So what you find is that when you successfully treat the ADHD symptoms, often the oppositional defiant behavior gets better because it becomes easier for them to stop doing what they want to do and do what you want them to do. Uh, conduct disorder is a more severe form, if you will, of oppositional defiant disorder. These are kids who uh, break rules, may be truant from school, may be involved in illegal activity, uh, may be hurtful towards others, aggressive. Uh, that's certainly something that you want to address early on uh, because those obviously can lead to a lifetime of problems. Mood disorders are also more common in people with ADHD. One of the things with mood disorders that you should be aware of is that if you have somebody that you're treating with a mood disorder and ADHD, it complicates uh, treatment because some of the medications that are used to treat attention can actually make mood disorders worse. So that's why uh, psychological testing can often be helpful 
to try to tease that out to see if there's other disorders uh, present so that you don't end up using medications that do make it worse. Or if you are working with a teenager who's on medication and you all of a sudden start seeing problems with uh, depression, for example, or, or a anger getting worse, or even suicidal thoughts, to make sure you let the prescribing doctor you know, know right away. Um, learning disorders are fairly common among uh, kids with ADHD. Uh, you may find that they often resist writing tasks. Writing, for some reason, tends to be particularly difficult uh, when you have ADHD, so they avoid any kind of written tasks, which, of course, creates problems when it comes to completing homework. The experience of ADHD teens, I think it's important to try to put yourself in their shoes and, and sort of understand um, what it's like for them. Uh, they may be embarrassed. They don't want to be seen as different. Uh, they may deny symptoms or how impaired they are. They may think it's, you're just getting on my case, you're expecting too much, because it's hard to admit when you're a teenager and you're trying to fit in um, that, you know, something might be wrong. Uh, more school-related stress, obviously. A lot of the ADHD teens uh, get along better with their families during the summer. Parents look forward to the summer because they don't have to worry about all the academics. And I think it's really important, because of all the stress that goes along with ADHD, uh, to try to make, not make everything in your family be about school. School's only one portion. And if you're working with kids, and so many arguments I see in the kids that I work with, centering around getting homework done, getting chores done and whatnot, you also want to be able to relax and have some fun with your teenager. So again, not making everything about school, because then they just feel worse about themselves. Uh, anxiety over the future. Uh, these teenagers often know that there's a problem, at some level, even though there may be denial as well. And so going off on their own, going for job interviews, succeeding at college where there's going to be obviously less parental oversight is going to be difficult for them. And keep in mind their lower self-esteem as well. If you come across too critical of them for the things that they're not doing, again, it just makes them feel worse. That's not a motivating thing. Um, again, a little bit of humor here. A uh, fairly common thing. Mom, I can't find my dresser. And the dad wondering, are these two people related? Uh, can, that can be a particularly difficult uh, combination when you have parents who are more organized, maybe even a little obsessive about how they keep things. And kids with ADHD, of course, are tend to be the opposite. Um, all right, let's move on. Treatment for ADHD tends to be the same for teens as with children. Uh, sometimes the dosages of medication change. Stimulant medicines are generally the way to go because they work the best in terms of improving that brain function that I was mentioning earlier. Um, but not everybody reacts well to stimulant medicines. They do sometimes interfere with sleep and appetite. They can make certain things worse, like I said, with mood. Also, if they have any kind of facial tics or motor tics, uh, stimulants can make those things worse. So fortunately, we have non-stimulant medicines as well, Stratera, um, 10X Clonidine, some of the uh, longer-acting forms of those last two, uh, Intuniv or Capve, uh, where you only have to take one pill in the morning and it lasts all the way through. And that's a real advantage for treatment because it is embarrassing for the kids to have to leave in the middle of the day to go take their medication. Uh, neurofeedback, there is some evidence that says that that may be helpful. This is where um, by connecting your brain to electrodes, basically, you put them on your head and by producing the brain waves that you're supposed to be producing when you're focusing, uh, you can learn how to increase that by operating uh, usually a, a video game or a movie by producing the right kind of brain waves. problem with neurofeedback is it tends to take a long time, many sessions, often not covered by insurance. 
Omega-3 supplements uh, have been shown to be helpful. Uh, this is fish oil. Uh, it's good for brain functioning in general. There's actually a prescription form of that now called uh, Veyron, and it's a very concentrated form of omega-3, uh, and it has been shown to be helpful with ADHD and may not have some of the negative side effects that the stimulants do. Exercise helps, certainly uh, reducing stress. It can help clear your head. Uh, and if, you have your, if your stress level is reduced and it also improves your sleep, uh, that you're going to be more focused as well. And obviously, making sure they get enough sleep and not with their phones. A large percentage of uh, teens and actually adults sleep with their phones right next to them, and that can actually interfere with uh, sleep. Some of the things you can do to help, provide clear and consistent expectations so that you're very clear, not just clean up your room, but, hey, I want the clothes off the floor, or can you bring your laundry down by 5 p.m. Uh, so that they know exactly what's expected. Keeping to a daily schedule, very difficult in today's society, but as much as you can, that does help so they think ahead, and so they know what's coming up as opposed to being surprised by it. I think it's important to have activities where teens can succeed. I would be careful about making the mistake of taking away something like sports or other extracurriculars because those are the things that often motivate kids to want to be at school. And if you take those away because they're not doing well academically, their motivation actually can get even worse. So, And it is important for them to have some areas that they can succeed in. Uh, if you have a child who's very musical, for example, you know, definitely support that. Even if it means that the grades drop a little bit, they need to have something that they can feel good about too. Affirm positive behavior. I mean, the best way to encourage uh, uh, better behavior is through praise. Uh, the praise tends to be much more effective than, you know, consequences or criticisms or, or punishments, which tend to be our least effective way of um, uh, producing behavior change. Uh, offer assistance with our organization. Notice I say offer. Uh, if you give suggestions, they're more likely to accept them or at least consider them as opposed to, hey, you need to do it this way. That's not going to go well with, with teenagers. And finally, having privileges and money be earned. Um, what I said earlier about uh, kind of external incentives for behavior or for doing things that are not very easy, we find that uh, having things be earned works better. For example, instead of giving your kids, you know, an allowance that's not earned and then they can spend it any way they want and then if they don't do their chores, you take it away, it's better to say, okay, as long as you get these things done, you can earn some money or privileges. So the harder you work, the more that you get that tends to be very motivating. Um, now, ideally, they would be more self-motivated, but that self-motivation often is lacking. So the external does help. Uh, not everybody, but be willing to give it a try. I've been surprised at how effective that can be. Uh, even when you have teenagers who say, okay, as long as I keep my grades up to a certain level, you know, parents stay out of my business. But if my grades start dropping or if I start failing grades or missing assignments, then parents can get more involved. And for some kids, that's actually very motivating. Um, using a, uh, setting up a reminder system at home, using a calendar can be helpful. Um, encouraging the use of electronics. We know that kids are on their electronics quite a bit, but there's some very good apps. There's one called Studious, for example, which uh, kids can use to keep track of all their assignments and program reminders in. Uh, monitor use of medication. Uh, that is important as well. When kids started doing worse, that's the first thing we ask is, okay, are you taking your medication regularly? Uh, because a lot of times they think they don't need it and then they start uh, doing worse. Uh, giving teens input in how to address problems, that's where you're kind of using more of a collaborative approach, again, as opposed to just telling them what to do. Monitor for medication diversion, that simply means uh, there are some uh, teenagers who will sell their medication for money or just to 
because other kids are asking them for it because we do know that the stimulants do help with focus even in people without ADHD. So just keep an eye on that. If medicine's disappearing, you don't know where it's going. Um, set rules for electronics and sleep. Some teenagers, they simply cannot monitor themselves and just put the phone down or the electronics. So if necessary, you may have to have them put their phones in, uh, in your bedroom, for example, or their laptops in your bedroom after a certain time because a lot of times these uh, teens with ADHD just can't regulate it on their own. Um, helicopter parenting, uh, again, it's very easy to get overly involved and take responsibility. So I can't emphasize this enough that you, you do need to be involved, you need to be supportive, but you can't take on full responsibility of getting them to do every single assignment the way you think that they should. That's a recipe for uh, disaster. So. So finally, um, ADHD, again, does present additional challenges among the, during the teenage years, but if you work with your teenager, if you try to understand how, why things are so difficult for them and offer help uh, but don't uh, force it upon them, you're more likely to get through these teenage years successfully. So. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Christ. All right. You're very welcome. I think this is... This is a lot of helpful information. We have a, a lot of people with us today, and there are a lot of teenagers who are dealing with the symptoms of ADHD. Well, our participants, we're ready to take your questions. So once again, please use the question box to submit your questions. And we've had a few come in already. And our first question, uh, we have a parent who is wondering if you recommend having a child see a specialist, such as a sleep specialist, to access some of the other things that uh, can aggravate ADHD that you mentioned earlier? Uh, if there is an ongoing concern about sleep, absolutely seeing a specialist would make some sense. But I would probably try the more uh, less intrusive interventions first, making sure that you know phones or electronics are not interfering with sleep uh, to make sure uh, that they're going to try to keep a regular sleep schedule. I mean, there's some kids with ADHD who do have sleep disorders on top of it, and no matter how hard they try, uh, they, they put all the electronics aside, they're in bed, and they're tossing and turning for hours at a time, or they're waking up exhausted you know, every morning, no matter how much sleep they get. When you see that, absolutely get that checked out, because if you can treat the sleep disorder, some of the ADHD symptoms may improve. Okay. Well, that's, that's very helpful. We've got uh, questions now from two parents, one from Anne and one from Catherine, and they're similar. Um, Anne was noting that you skipped over substance abuse as a co-occurring condition, and she was wondering what if you're dealing with substance abuse in addition to other co-occurring conditions, what do you treat first? And Catherine is following that up with how, to, how can a parent respond to marijuana and other drug use in teenagers, she's thinking particularly young teenagers, 13, 15-year-olds, if they see their friends doing this. We know that there is a, a greater risk so of substance use. So what would you tell these mothers? Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I did skip over that. That's a whole other, that could be a whole other presentation. But uh, by treating ADHD successfully, you can reduce the chances of kids abusing drugs and alcohol. Uh, but if they are already abusing drugs and alcohol, that could also complicate treatment. For example, if you're smoking marijuana on a regular basis, your focus is not going to be there. And so the risk that you run is you say, okay, the doctor says the stimulant, say Ritalin, isn't working because it's too low of a dose, and you increase the dose, not knowing that the child is self-medicating using, uh, again, uh, such, something such as marijuana. 
So if there's any suspicions about substance abuse, you certainly want to get some drug testing. Though I think it, the first step would be always be just to ask your teenager. There's a lot of information out there on some signs to look for if you suspect substance abuse, you know, a sudden decline in grades, a change in your peer group, uh, kids becoming more secretive, uh, change in sleep habit, habits, appetite, uh, things of that nature, things disappearing. Sometimes kids who get involved in the more serious drugs, you know, such as heroin, cocaine, and unfortunately heroin's making a comeback because it's pretty cheap to get these days. Uh, those... Um, those medications have more serious effects. Uh, they tend to be more addictive, and kids will start selling stuff in their households to try to pay for the drugs. So it is very important to look at that. In terms of what to treat first or second, it really depends on the severity. Um, for some kids, if they're experimenting with marijuana, for example, and you know that ADHD is already a problem, maybe they've been diagnosed when they were younger, and if you adjust the treatment for the ADHD, uh, it may be easier for them to uh, to stop using drugs. On the other hand, if the drug use is so severe, if it's like daily or, you know, multiple times during the week where they can't stop using on their own, then you may need to treat the uh, substance abuse first. Uh, so sometimes you have to treat both simultaneously because not everybody can uh, can stop drug use on their own. For example, there are some... Uh, clinicians who will say, well, I'm not going to treat you for ADHD until you stop using drugs and alcohol. Well, that's ideal. You, sh you should be off one before you're being treated for the other, but not everybody can succeed at that. And sometimes treating them simultaneously actually increases the, the risk or increases the chances for success. You just have to be careful with interactions. All right. Well, Sheila wants to follow that up with a question. Does counseling help teenagers with ADHD, going to a counselor, working with a therapist? Is that an effective part of treatment? Yeah, absolutely. Research shows that medication tends to be, or treatment tends to be much more effective when you combine medication and treatment. It tends to be less effective if you just do one or the other. And it's not that counseling is going to improve a child's focus or reduce their impulsivity necessarily, but what it can do is help kids take ownership of the problem and they may be more willing to work on strategies to help uh, improve their focus, for example, or become more organized uh, using their agenda and explaining why it's so important and some different ways of thinking about things. For example, kids will often tell themselves, um, hey, yeah, I'll remember that. I don't need to write it down. That's the wrong attitude to have. If you tell yourself, hey, I'm most likely going to forget it if I don't write it down. Let me just write it down just in case. Uh, things like that can help. And often during the teenage years, it's hard enough for kids to listen to what their parents tell them to do. Parents are always wrong, or at least sometimes it seems that way. So sometimes hearing it from a, a third party, a, a more objective source, can be easier. The other thing that I think is very important in terms of counseling with teenagers uh, in general, in addition with ADHD, is to do a family therapy component. That's a large part of what I do with teenagers is working with them and their parents trying to negotiate contracts regarding expectations, grades, incentives, consequences. And again, if you include everybody together, you're more likely to get to be successful because everybody can buy into a system as opposed to just working with a teenager alone. <clears throat> I tend to be more suspicious if uh, a therapist is only working with a teenager and never gets any input from the parents because the teenagers may not always tell you all of what's going on. And not because they're just lying to you, they may not be fully aware of how bad the problem is. So to answer the question again, yes, counseling is a very important component of treatment for ADHD.
All right. Well, Jim wants to follow that up with uh, looking for advice on finding a specialist for teens with ADHD. Where can a parent look? Where can a, where can a parent find someone who can help their teenager? Uh, probably three sources. Uh, first is to ask a school counselor. Uh, school counselors do work with therapists in the community, so they may know who they would recommend. Uh, second would be your child's pediatrician. Uh, and that, the pediatrician, maybe even the office manager of the pediatrician's practice. They, you know, who do you tend to recommend for uh, counseling for ADHD teenagers? Because you want somebody, again, with some expertise and training in the area. Uh, and maybe third is just other parents. Um, by going to, uh, talking to other parents who have kids with similar issues, they may be able to recommend somebody. Uh, I find sometimes the, the teenagers uh, know who who's in treatment, who isn't, because the, they are more willing to share that now than they would have been, I think, 10 years ago. Kids tend to be more open about things. And sometimes I get referrals from other teenagers saying, hey, I think my friend needs to see you. Uh, and it's always nice when they can do that. Uh, I do believe that uh, Chad has, on their website, they do have some people who, some therapists who are registered, so you could always uh, check that out as well. We do have uh, our professional directory, our resource directory. If you go to the CHAD website, that's CHAD, C-H-A-D-D dot O-R-G, and look underneath resources, the tab for resources. Click that, put your state in, and the information we have on that state of all those resources will come up, including our local chapters. Well, our next question now is coming from Amy, and she has a son, and he has, he's taking medication for ADHD, but he refuses to take it on weekends. And she was wondering how she can encourage him to take his medication daily, including weekends. Well, the first, that's not an unusual way to take medication. Some kids feel like they don't need it on the weekends. Um, sometimes kids want a little bit of a break from side effects. So I would, I would ask first, why is the child not wanting to take medication on the weekends? Uh, is there like a reduction in appetite that they want to get through? Some kids will tell me that they don't feel quite themselves when they're on medication. They feel like a little too serious, and sometimes their friends will even notice that. It's like they're too focused, so they want a break from that. So, um, But the first thing to do would be to ask the teenager, what's your concern? Why is it that you're not wanting to take it on the weekends? Now, in general, I would let teenagers kind of decide that for themselves because forcing, if they're willing to take it during the week and they're cooperating and you make a big issue of it on the weekends, you might eventually get more resistance all the way around. One exception to that, though, might be driving. Uh, research says that teenagers with ADHD are more likely to be involved in accidents and that use of medication can reduce that likelihood. Uh, not every ADHD teen needs medication for driving. Some kids are very focused and very motivated when it comes to driving. Others don't seem to have a problem. Others are so distractible. Uh, they miss a lot of important information when they're driving. They don't notice things. And so for those kids, you may have to require, if you're going to be driving at all, you need to be on your medication. So I guess also to look at what, you know, are there some problems being uh, caused by not taking medication on the weekends? For example, if you have a child who tends to be very hyperactive uh, or very impulsive doing things without thinking about the consequences uh, or um, tends to be maybe even more emotionally reactive because they're less focused, some of those kids may benefit from being on medication on the weekends, whereas other kids and teens, they, you don't really notice the difference, and so the parents are fine with them not taking medication on the weekends. So really it's an individual thing, and you want to look at you know, what are the pros and cons of taking it on the weekends? 
All right. Well, thank you. Rachel's following that up. Um, older teenagers are the ones who are driving. And she's following that up with the question, how can a parent know or kind of judge when their teenager is ready to go to college? Um, end, of co end of high school, a lot of kids go to college. Is, what should a parent look for? That is a very good question. Um, one of the things that I find is that the teenagers who are more ready for college are the ones that are going to be more willing to take the steps necessary to get there. They will follow up with their school counselors. They will look at the uh, applications. They will start looking at colleges, get the paperwork uh, that needs to be done. Other kids think they should go to college or maybe are pressured by their parents to go to college, but they don't really feel ready for it. And those kids may be very lax or they say they're going to do these things and they don't. And so one of the risks that you run, and I think it's just a very difficult uh, kind of line there to, uh, to walk, that kids with ADHD are going to need some more support from their parents in terms of the organizational aspects of applying for college. But if you do too much of that and the teenager is not ready for it, the risk that you run is that you're going to pay all this money, go away to college, and they fail out the first semester. And you may not even know because because of privacy laws, parents are not allowed to have access to their teenagers' grades, I mean, their college students' grades, even if, uh, uh, even if the parents are paying, unless the teen signs a release form. And so that is one of the things that you always want to have in place. Okay, what are the expectations? What happens if your child takes uh, college-level classes and then just stops going? You know, does that child have to pay you back for those classes uh, or to, you know, be reevaluated to see if something's missing in the treatment plan before being able to go back to college? So I think you want to look at general level of maturity, to what extent they are taking initiative to make college happen, and, and also just to have a, an honest discussion with your teenager. Do you think that you're ready to go to college or do you feel like you need to take a break? A lot of, te a lot of teens with ADHD do not like school. They don't like the academics, and so uh, being pushed to do it if that's not their thing is is not going to end well. So some of these teens may do better in a technical program, um, auto mechanics, for example, which is more hands-on, which tends to be better for teenagers. So um, I guess one other thing I would say with regard to the academics and, and college is that some ADHD teens actually do better in college than they did in, in high school. And that's because they get to choose their classes more. They may be able to, if they have trouble getting up in the morning, they may be able to choose later in the day classes, which are easier for them to attend. And if they're, again, if they're taking classes that they're more interested in and feel like they're being treated more as adults, uh, some of those kids actually have done better in college. But it really is important to monitor progress and have a way of assessing that. You don't want to be throwing away money. Uh, and I've seen that happen all too many times with ADHD college students. Okay, well, thank you. Amy wants to bring us back to your earlier comments on substance use and abuse. Mm -hmm. And she was wondering, um, can you comment more on how to deal with false information on the Internet that says marijuana is a helpful treatment for ADHD? The Internet says a lot of things. A lot of things are not true. But a lot of people are wondering. What would you say to, to Amy and to others who are wondering about marijuana as marijuana in relationship to ADHD? Yes, and obviously that's becoming more of an issue as uh, it is being legalized or decriminalized across the country. 
And the reality with marijuana is there are many different uh, strains of it, and it is possible if somebody has mood issues and they are on marijuana, they actually are calmer and might actually be able to do better. But what I tell the teenagers is that research also shows that it can change the way your brain develops, and it's very, very risky for teenagers to be using drugs or alcohol. And so if they can postpone it to later, one of the things we know is that the later a child starts using drugs or alcohol, the less likely they are to be addicted. So if you can buy your time and get them through, uh, they're going to do better. So sometimes I've, ha I've had teenagers who have taken that very seriously and they realize, okay, I don't want to change the way my brain operates. Because if your brain develops with the expectation that it's going to have marijuana, then when you, if you decide to stop using later on, your brain doesn't know how to function without it. And so you're going to have uh, maybe some withdrawal symptoms, more irritability, even cravings for it, which can create more problems down the line. So um, I do think that parents need to, to make a stand to say, hey, I don't believe that marijuana use is wise for you as a teenager. Uh, I think it's going to make things harder. And parents, if you do suspect drug use, you're going to have to monitor more closely because teenagers are uh, very good at hiding these things. Uh, privacy, for example, I mean, I think... Teenagers do have an expectation that certain parts of their life would be private, and respecting that as much as you can makes some sense, but respecting that to the extent that it's earned. And what I often tell parents is that if your teenager is using drugs or alcohol, you know, privacy is no longer uh, an option here, that you are going to search their rooms, you are going to take a look at their text messages to see what's going on because the risks are so great. And for some kids, they don't realize that if they get themselves into legal trouble, you know, getting expelled from school, which has happened as a result of bringing marijuana uh, in your backpack to school and not even realizing that it's there, which would be a typical ADHD thing because you just forget. You don't realize something's in your pocket because you never bother to empty your pockets. And then you have legal action and things that can very seriously interfere with your ability to succeed. You know, if you have a drug conviction, uh, you can be denied college loans, for example. Uh, some, some colleges may deny you admission uh, as well because they don't want that on their campuses. So I think it is very important to be proactive. Um, one of the other things I would also encourage parents to do if you are having issues with substance abuse is to uh, attend support groups in your community. Uh, Families Anonymous, for example, um, or Al-Anon uh, are self-help groups where you can go talk to other parents who are dealing with these issues. It's also one of the other reasons that's so useful is that you find out what's going on in your community and the other parents can tell you, okay, this is what happens, or if you get in trouble with law, this, this is the likely scenario here. The more educated you are, the better off you're going to be in terms of being able to help your uh, child navigate that. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that any experimentation is automatically a reason to panic, but you also do not want to have a lax attitude about it either, that a lot of teenagers do think that uh, marijuana is harmless or even helpful and uh, it's one of the worst drugs you can actually use for ADHD because one of the things that it tends to negatively affect is your short-term memory. And so you need that to be able to function, to be able to keep track of your assignments, to be able to learn. And a lot of times teens won't connect their marijuana use to their uh, declining grades. Okay. Well, thank you. That's a very helpful answer that a lot of uh, people have been looking for and one that I think we will remember and reference. Well, we've got our next question now from Tracy, and she was wondering what a parent can do 
when a teenager refuses to take medication, refuses to go to counseling, basically a teenager wants to stop treatment for ADHD. What can the parent do at that point? Um, I would again first ask why. You know, what are your concerns about continuing treatment? Why is it that you're wanting to stop? Uh, sometimes teenagers have legitimate reasons. They say, I'm tired of being so skinny, I can't gain weight, or it's interfering with my sleep, or I don't like the way it's affecting, you know, my interactions with my friends, I'm not myself. Uh, so to find out first, again, what, what is prompting the, the, uh, the reason for stop, for stopping. Now, if a child is already in counseling or in treatment and they want to stop, uh, I would say, well, we need to discuss that with the treatment professional. And sometimes we come up with a contract that could be helpful. Again, I want teenagers to be involved in the decision-making. So, for example, I've had some teenagers where we say, okay, tell you what, as long as your grades are C's or better and you're not in trouble with the law and you're getting, you know, you're, you're taking care of your home responsibilities, we don't have to go back to treatment. But if these things start happening, if your grades start slipping or if we see more problems at home uh, or with peers or, you know, not following rules or being uh, delinquent in other ways, then we're going to bring you back to counseling. So, and parents do have some leverage. Uh, parents certainly can withhold things like cell phones, which are privileges, not rights. Uh, driving privileges uh, are one of those things as well. Um, but you, if you get to the point where you're having to go to that extent, I think there's already a problem in the parent-child relationship. So uh, look at it as more of a therapy issue, and you can decide together uh, what what will happen. To give you another example, I've had kids who wanted to go off their medication because they thought they didn't need it, and we agreed to do a trial period. Say, tell you what, first first quarter, you're on your medicine. Let's see how you do grade-wise. Then let's try second quarter. If you can maintain those grades, then that says that you probably don't need the medicine and it's fine. If your grades drop, then you agree to go back on medication. That gives that gets buy-in from the teenager, so if they agree to that and they see the evidence for themselves, they're often able to say, okay, yeah, you're right. I, I was hoping I didn't need it, but I see here's the results here of, of not being on medication or in therapy. And I do, do tend to do medication or do therapy on an as-needed basis with teenagers. The better they're doing, the less frequently I see them. The worse they're doing, the more frequently I see them. And if uh, I guess one other factor to, to, to mention here is take a look at the relationship or the connection between your teenager and his or her therapist. If there's a good therapeutic alliance, usually teenagers are going to be more willing to come in. If they feel belittled or put down or just that they feel like they can't relate uh, to the therapist, it could be that it's time to switch therapists. So, again, find out what's the reason behind not wanting to continue treatment and then go from there. All right. Well, thank you. Julie's taking us back into the academic world, and she was wondering um, if kids in general do better in a private school that focuses on learning disabilities versus a regular public school where they may have an academic plan. Where do students more often academically succeed? It really depends on the student and the nature of the disabilities. If you have a child with severe learning issues that are interfering with functioning, uh, having a Section 504 plan or an IEP where certain accommodations and interventions are required can help kids be more successful in, in the public school realm because private schools tend, in general, tend not to um, provide those services as readily because of limited funding, et cetera. Uh, there are private schools, as you mentioned, though, that specialize uh, in learning issues. And so some teenagers will do much better in those schools because they understand what the problem is and they're willing to work with it. 
because uh, sometimes what you'll find in public schools is that teachers are so overwhelmed with, you know, responsibilities. And if you have a classroom and 10 kids out of 30 are on IEPs all requiring different accommodations, sometimes the teachers just don't follow through, and it's very difficult to force them to do that. Um, and some kids really need those accommodations to be successful, things like, you know, extended time on tests or uh, more frequent feedback between parents and teachers. Uh, it's often very frustrating when parents find out at the end of a semester, oh, my kid hasn't turned in 22 assignments, and I had no idea. Why didn't anybody contact me? Uh, but as parents, you really have to be proactive. You have to be the one to contact the teachers and say, hey, is there anything I need to know? Is there any, you know, how's my child doing? Because uh, kind of a squeaky wheel uh, gets the grease. So again, it depends on the nature of the disabilities or learning disorders and the, the nature of the school and how they address it. Uh, one other thing to keep in mind is I've had some ADHD teenagers who are in private schools that are more academically rigorous. And what happens with some of those kids is they get overwhelmed because there's often uh, higher expectations, maybe a greater volume of homework. And sometimes they're even recommend for retention. And I've had parents who have taken their kids from the more rigorous private schools, putting them into public schools and having them do better because the demands were lower and the kids were less stressed and they were more willing to do the work that they needed to do. So hopefully I answered that question. I think you did. I think that was very helpful. Well, Denise has a 16-year-old, and her 16-year-old has ADHD, has been taking medicine regularly, and this summer he's taken a medication holiday, no medicine over the summer. Now that uh, school is about to be starting up again, she was wondering if he should be reevaluated before beginning medication treatment again, or can he just begin? It certainly can't hurt to reevaluate. Um, it's usually better to start strong. Uh, if you start off weak, it's harder for kids to catch up because you may miss some really important information, especially in subjects like math, where the later information builds on the earlier information. So, um, But again, I've had kids do it both ways. Sometimes if you're not quite sure, if you think that your child is doing pretty well and the child wants to see how things go without it, Again, a contract could be useful to say, let's see how it goes. If you're still having trouble, uh, you could retry medication, or you could. Some teenagers are willing to have a reevaluation to say, okay, let's take a look. And one of the one of the things with an evaluation, and I think it's really important for teenagers to be involved with this, is to have a chance to sit with a psychologist doing the testing and go over the results. Uh, I find that very useful. If I can explain to a teenager, okay, this is how smart you are and this is where your performance was, and the performance should be, should be higher. And these are the things I noticed about you while we were doing the testing. I find that that improves their motivation to follow through on treatment because they see it in black and white and they say, okay, I see what you're saying, so what do I need to do to, to make this better, as opposed to just telling them that they need to be on medicine or in therapy or uh, whatever you know, program that uh, you know, the parents deem would be necessary for them. Okay. Well, thank you. Well, Abby has an 11-year-old in middle school, and her 11-year-old was just diagnosed, and she was wondering, how do you know what is ADHD, symptoms of ADHD, what are symptoms of being an 11-year-old with the hormonal changes that are taking place, and how does a parent deal with both of those? Well, that, that is a tough call because, again, hormones do tend to make uh, ADHD symptoms worse as well. If she's newly diagnosed, it would be more difficult. Um, so keep in mind, again, that the uh, 
the main symptoms are the main the three core symptom groups are inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity. And one of the things you want to look for is what is the level of impairment in functioning that is happening as a result of those things. Okay, being a little bit inattentive, a little bit forgetful, you know, forgetting their iPod at a friend's house at a sleepover, those are pretty normal things. But if you see a pattern where it's happening continuously or pretty consistently and it's creating problems, that's probably more of an ADHD symptom. Uh, forgetting your homework assignment once in a while at school, fairly normal. Forgetting it three times a week is not so normal. It is more likely a result of of the ADHD. So that's also what you're looking at when it comes to treatment is even if you have symptoms of ADHD, there's some kids and teens and adults who can compensate pretty well. There are others who can't seem to get it together um, without uh, more intensive treatment. So uh, it really it really depends. I guess another thing to think about here is that Regardless of whether or not, of re, whether the symptoms are being caused by ADHD or just uh, the puberty hormones and all of that, uh, is that whatever kind of strategies you're using for ADHD can also help uh, kids without ADHD. So organizational strategies, you know, reminders, incentives, those all can work for those can work for all kids. So there's no harm in trying some of the um, intervention methods for ADHD kids, even if you're not sure that a particular symptom is caused by ADHD. All right. Well, thank you. We have a group of parents who have concerns about uh, social skills and friendships. And they have a, a range of questions. But basically, what they are asking is how parents can help their teenagers make friends, go into new social situations, introduce themselves, how parents can help their their young people maintain those friendships and strengthen them, and then what to do when friendships end and there's peer rejection. That can be very difficult. Uh, kids with ADHD do tend to have more trouble with social relationships. If you think about it, if you're not paying attention to what somebody is telling you or what the rules to a game are, if you're hyperactive, which can be very irritating to your peers, uh, being impulsive, saying and doing things without thinking about the consequences, hurting their feelings, um, maybe forgetting important uh, uh, information, forgetting to show up for things, forgetting to call people back or text them back. All of those things certainly can interfere with friendships. So one of the things you can do as parents is really try to help them improve their social skills. And practicing at home through modeling is one of the um, best ways of doing it, to be able to say, okay, you know, how do you approach a friend? What would you do if you wanted to make friends with somebody in your class? You know, what are some polite things to do? What would be some not polite things to do? Uh, things like introducing yourself, asking questions. Sometimes kids with ADHD well, and adults as well tend to be a little bit more self-focused because they it's harder for them to stop and think, okay, wait a minute, I'm doing all the talking. Let me give this other person a chance to talk. Um, but again, those are skills that they can learn. Um, there are a number of uh, therapy centers that offer social skills groups specifically for ADHD kids. And if there are any of those in your area, I would definitely recommend you uh, check that out. Um, I know there are a couple places here in the Washington, D.C. area that offer that. Uh, it's also actually, I'm glad you brought up the, the social skill issue. It's actually the subject of uh, my most recent uh, self-help book for kids called The Survival Guide for Making and Being Friends. 
And I find that a lot of kids these days, especially with electronics and uh, busy schedules, don't have the chance to just hang out with each other for hours at a time and, and learn how to interact, learn what works well and what doesn't work well. So in that book, I, which is geared towards kids, I teach them what are some things that you need to know about friendships, what are some skills you can learn, how can you practice them, and what happens when friendships end. Uh, to get back to the last part of this question uh, that uh, came up, is it's very sad. And I think one of the things you can do as parents is simply support your child's feelings. It's not your responsibility to fix the problem, but you certainly can sympathize and say, hey, that really hurts, I'm sure. What do you think happened here? You know, is there anything that you think you could do about it? Uh, do you owe that person an apology, or do you think that maybe you just went in different directions? Sometimes friendships end, and it's, it's okay to be sad. Uh, the flip side of that is that it's an opportunity to maybe strengthen some of your existing friendships, or it could be motivation to, you know, make some new friends, maybe some with uh, more similar interests. So, but it is a very painful thing to see your kids suffer, to be excluded because of, uh, you know, things that they may not be able to help so readily. Well, thank you. Um, I think this is that's very important for families. And uh, we at the National Resource Center on ADHD, we hear very often questions about friendships and teenage romantic relationships and and these other social skills. So I think that was very helpful. Good. Well, our next. Our next group of questions are coming from Janet and Amanda. And Janet uh, has a young person who was assessed in elementary school, early elementary school, and is about to go into high school. And she was wondering if there should be a new psychoeducational assessment. And Amanda's following that up with, do you have any specific um, academic approaches? Do you know of any specific academic approaches that have been successful for teens with ADHD, especially as they're approaching college age? Uh, in terms of a reevaluation, um, I would suggest doing it if there is a sign of a problem. Um, I don't think there's a need to do a reassessment if things are going reasonably well. But if there's a problem that's interfering with uh, academic uh, success, then by all means do a reevaluation because sometimes uh, things do change. Sometimes things get better. Sometimes things get worse. Sometimes things that didn't show up three years ago, you start seeing as uh, as they get older and there's more information that they have. There's more that they've learned. Sometimes it's easier to identify a discrepancy, for example, between intelligence level and achievement, which is one of the things that we look at in diagnosing learning disorders. Um, in terms of academic approaches, uh, I think, again, helping teens take ownership uh, of the problem. One of the biggest things is getting them to use the agenda, uh, getting them to use electronics to remind them of things, uh, being able to get them to get cell phone numbers of friends so that if they forget an assignment, they've got somebody they can call or text to find out what's going on. I think the use of, um, you know, homework portals where teens themselves can sign online, check their grades, find if they have missing assignments. Um, is very useful. I mean, obviously, things like preferential seating can be very helpful for teens. It's harder to get them to do, to try to sit in front if they have a choice, because if all the friends are in the back, they're not going to be want to be isolated. Though some teens realize, hey, I need to sit in the front for me to be more focused. Uh, there are some uh, smartwatches, even. Uh, there's, I think it was called Watchminder, was one of the earlier uh, ones. But they have specific watches for ADHD. Uh, people where they vibrate every so often and you look at it and it says pay attention or refocus as a way of just reminding yourself to uh, to pay attention if you've kind of drifted off. So um, with regard to, I guess one other thing with regard to academics, I find that uh, especially if people are more visual learners, 
to make things more interesting, to use like different color pencils or pens when they're taking notes or highlighting things. It helps it stand out, so that can be a very good study strategy. Uh, putting things to music uh, can be helpful for other kids because uh, if you make something more memorable, if you use mnemonics, if you use abbreviation, like something as simple as you know, every good boy does fine for the for the notes of the uh, treble staff. Um, it can be very useful. So uh, think of what your child is interested in and maybe try to tailor some academic approaches based on what they tend to be good at. All right. Well, thank you. Well, we are, we are at our last question, and it's coming from Lisa. And it kind of wraps this up when we're talking about maturity, about young people taking more responsibility, um, participating in their treatment, participating in the plans for transition after college. Her question is, is kind of simple and kind of complicated. When does a parent need to stop giving rewards for everything that a teenager does? When do we transition them from receiving rewards and encouragement from us to doing this on their own, having intrinsic motivation? That's the million-dollar question. Um, ideally, what happens as kids get older and they enter the working world, you find that uh, incentives are really what uh, what makes people want to go to work. I mean, if you did not get paid for your job, you probably wouldn't show up for your job. And so some kids do much better, and they'll say this, I'll do much better once I'm working for an employer because I'm getting a paycheck, and that helps motivate me. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to, you know, reward every single thing that they do, but uh, I do think the ADHD kids need more praise. They need more reinforcement for these things. And it's not so much as rewarding every single thing or having an incentive for everything as well as much as just making what you provide for them contingent on what they're doing. For example, your child, your teenager may ask to do something and you say, well, hmm, well, you know, you've had a really good week. I noticed that you put away, you know, your clothes without me asking you and you did this and I saw some really good uh, homework assignments come through where you've worked really well. So absolutely, you know, I'll let you go ahead and spend the night at your friend's house or take the car for the afternoon to go visit somebody so that you're making those things contingent as opposed to letting them do everything they want and then sort of drawing back when they don't do so well. It works much better to have uh, these privileges be earned so that you're helping them continually make the connection between hard work and success. So, And I think that is something that, again, because of the, uh, the slower time frame for emotional maturity, that's, or the longer time frame for uh, emotional maturity to occur in these teenagers, they do need that spelled out for them a little bit more. But it's a gradual process if you try to kind of wean them off of that. Um, maybe one last point here is with regard to school, um, especially college, where it requires you to uh, help pay for that, to make sure that the harder they work, maybe the more you cover, if they're not working so hard, that you may require them to cover more of the cost of school. So that could also be another incentive for them, uh, which is different than giving a specific reward for it. You're just making it clear that the harder you work, the more you get, So, which is kind of how life works for the most part. Well, Dr. Chris, I want to thank you for your time and for your insights and your suggestions on how to help our teenagers. This concludes our webcast for today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes so we can continue to bring great content to you.
Want school mornings to be stress-free? Planning the night before can make mornings run more smoothly for you and your child. Place a basket or box by the front door for backpacks, lunch boxes, coats, jackets, and whatever else your child might need to grab on their way out. For more tips to get the school year started right, go to the CHAD website, www.help4adhd.org. That's www.help and the number 4, adhd.org.